We are in a series in Ephesians, and uh, this is week seven. Ooh. Man, we've been we've been in here for a while. Um, this one is titled in your little booklets. If you have your little booklets, I am a fellow heir. Fellow heir. I am a fellow heir. Uh, we are going to be in Ephesians chapter three. Uh, starting in the beginning of the chapter, we're going to read that in a second. But just to, just to before we read God's Word, um, I want you guys to think um, of yourself as a puzzle piece. All right? You're just going to think of yourself as a puzzle piece, and you're going to hold that thought throughout, uh, throughout the morning, throughout this message. You're, you're a puzzle piece. I don't know if you're a big puzzle piece or a little puzzle piece or a main puzzle piece. Or just a cloud in the sky puzzle piece, but you gotta think of yourself as a puzzle piece, right? They all have their purpose. So, Rob, what are you? What are you? You're a corner piece, okay? But you're a puzzle piece, right? All right, as long as you're a puzzle piece, that's all that matters. Uh, so, we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter three, verse one. Before we get there, let us pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you that we could come together and worship you. Thank you for the ability to be able to worship in song and praise and testimony. It's so good to hear all the things that you have your people doing, Father, but we know that we're supposed to be doing more, more for your kingdom, for your glory. And that's why we do all the things that we do, is to bring honor and glory to your name. So, Father, we pray as we get into your word this morning, let us let us just be reminded how much you love us, what it is you have in store for us, who we are, who we are in you. Not who the world says we are, who the world wants us to be, but who you want us to be. Let us be that puzzle piece. Father, let us look and see what does it mean to be a small piece for the puzzle. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your copy of God's Word, uh, open it to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. If you have a pew Bible, I have no idea what number it is. Pastor John usually looks it up ahead of time. He can tell you what page number it is, but 1160 in some of them. So here we are. Verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me, Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ 
and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And that's a lot. That's a lot to unpack right there, right? So what is that? How does that look to us? How does it mean to be a puzzle piece? Well, I want you to I want you to get this. Um, it'll it'll be up there on the side. My God is all about unity. Your God is all about unity. Uh, turn to your neighbor and say, "My God is about unity." There you go. Good job. My God is about unity. He is calling together believers from all times and places as He makes us a family and shows off His glory. I used to be a show-off all the time. Sometimes I still want to be. It's just my nature. right? I like to show off. But I don't have the right to show off. I don't have the right to show off. I have the right to, to... be judged by God. I have the right to be sentenced by God to death. But God, He has the right to show off. Do you agree? I mean, if God created the universe, if God said, let there be light and, and the sun is out, you know, it, it always comes. Have you ever awoken and the sun wasn't there? You just wake up and the sun was gone other than, you know, maybe Brandon, who that's because he slept all day and it was nighttime again. I don't mean that I mean, like, the sun was just gone. The sun was just not gone. God has the right to show off. I mean, He just said, let there be light, and the sun showed up. I mean, if any one of you can do that, then I think you could probably show off a little bit, too. But what does it mean that He makes us a family to show off His glory? Think of this. He uses you. He wants to use you to show the rest of the world His glory. He wants to show off by using you. I don't know how that makes you feel, but for me, I'm like, I'm not worthy of that. I like to show off in the little things that I might do, like if I go fishing with my cousin and I catch a bigger fish, probably going to rub it in his face like I often do, but um, that's just me showing off to my friends. God, He has a different plan. See, when He shows you off to the world, He's showing that He has a plan. And His plan is about loving. And His plan is about reconciliation. And His plan is about building a family. We're going to jump right into the first point. I want you to recognize this. I was made a member of one body by Jesus. I was made a member of one body by Jesus. All right, we're going to do in true John fashion. Turn to your neighbor again and say, Jesus made me. I'll say it. Hold on. Jesus made me. See, he didn't have anyone sitting next to him. I had to help him out. Val, too. Jesus, ready? Jesus made me. There you go. No, he made you, too, Val. He made you. All right. So, 
I want you guys to understand, if Jesus made you, if you truly accept that Jesus made you, then He has the authority to tell you what to do. He has the authority to tell you what to do. Verse 1 says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. That's us, in case you don't know. I think there's Jewish people and there's Gentiles. There's Jewish people and everybody else of the world. Okay, so if you're not Jewish, then you're everybody else in the world. You're a Gentile. Well, there was this whole thing going on in the early church of, oh, Jesus just came for us. It's only meant for the Jews. It's only meant for us. It's only meant for our people. And Paul's like, hold on. That is not true. He has done this for everybody. And we can even see, if you, if you were to turn, you don't have to now, but you can look at it later, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, he tells them, uh, just stay in Jerusalem and tell all the Jews about this. No, that's not what he says. He says, go to all nations. See, he uses that, that word, that term in there is actually to all people groups. Go to all people groups. He tells them right away, go to all people groups. Teach them all that I have commanded you. Baptizing them. Well, here's the thing. A non-Jew, a Gentile, could not be baptized under Jewish law. But here Jesus is saying, no, I have done this for everyone. And Paul says, I went to prison for this faith. At this time, when he's writing to Ephesus, uh, the church in Ephesus, which is Ephesians, he is sitting in a Roman prison, sentenced to death. Don't know when, but he's sitting in a Roman prison. He doesn't know yet when he's going to die or how it's going to happen. He just knows he's in prison. He's not getting out. Verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that has given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. I don't know how familiar you guys are with Paul's story, but Paul was Saul, and he was going from town to town, and he was pulling people out of their homes that were Christians, that were followers of Christ, and he was arresting them, and even putting some to death. The first martyr, Stephen, when he was stoned to death, the very next line after, after it talks about Stephen saying it, he says, and Saul watched and approved. He was there at the very first martyrdom. The very first Christian stoning just for believing in Jesus. This is who Saul was. And he's on this road, this road to Emmaus, or this road to, uh, I can't even think right now. My brain stopped working. Um, what? Damascus. Oh my goodness. I sat in the Damascus gate for like an hour this year and I still couldn't come to my mind. So the road to Damascus. And he's there and he's out. And it's crazy if you go out this gate. It's where all the Muslims sit when you go out the gate in Jerusalem. It's this giant courtyard. And so, so Paul goes out of this gate and he starts going down the road. And on this road, which is really crazy, it actually, uh, you pass by Golgotha, which is where Christ was crucified. Okay? So he was crucified. You, you pass right by that. Um, you pass out of the outskirts of town. And so Paul would have walked through all of these things as Saul. Remember, he's looking for Christians. He, he wants to arrest them. He wants to murder them. He's walking along 
And all of a sudden, this bright light and this voice from the heavens calls down to him and says, Saul, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? So think about this. Jesus has is already been murdered on the cross. He's already risen from the grave. And he's already ascended into heaven. And then Paul is going around persecuting the church, persecuting people like us, killing them. And Jesus' words to him are, why are you persecuting me? I want you guys to understand the significance that your Savior loves you so much when something happens to you, He considers it happening to Him. That's how much He loves you. And Paul, through a bunch of the story that continues to go on, comes to Christ right there. He comes to Jesus. He becomes a follower of God. Follower of Jesus Christ. He goes from persecuting and murdering Christians to being a Christian. Like that. Instantly. Right? It says he goes on to Damascus and um, one of the believers spits on his hands and covers Paul's eyes and the scales fall away. But here's the cool thing. It doesn't just say that he can see again like you. He says the scales of his heart were taken away. Meaning his heart was open to hear the gospel. His heart was open to hear who God is. And so here's Paul, later on, a prisoner for us. But he says he knows it because it was revealed to him in the mysteries of God. Verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. You see, he knows what the mystery is. He knows because he experienced it. He had an encounter with God. And it was no longer a mystery. And see, the nice thing for us is we are living in hindsight. I don't know if you've ever lived through a part of your life and you're like, I have no idea what the heck is going on here. I hate this. Whatever the circumstances are. And then 5, 10, 20 years down the road, you look back and you're like, why didn't I see that then? Why was I so blind? Has anybody ever experienced that? That type of hindsight? Well, for you guys, maybe it was like six months ago or two months ago. But for the rest of us that are getting older, we can look back in our life and see things. Well, here's this mystery. Why are we here? Has anybody ever questioned that? Why am I here? Why Not in church, literally. I mean, I should ask that question too. But why am I here on earth? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Right? Everybody struggles through that. Everybody struggles through, what is my purpose? Why am I here? Who am I? Identity issues is the number one, number one thing in the United States. Number one thing in the United States that kills young people. Do you know that? They don't know their identity, don't know who they are, and they turn to suicide. It's because they don't know their identity. We all have struggled through our identity. We all have struggled through who am I and why am I here? That's the mystery. That's the mystery. Because it is a mystery, right? If you don't know what your purpose is, you're left wondering, what is my purpose? Who am I supposed to be? Why was I created? And here's the other thing. Who created me? 
because there's only actual two belief systems in the world if you break it all down. There's those that believe they're created and those that believe you're an accident. It happened on accident. Everything just fit together perfectly one day on its own and boom, accident. Or you're created. Two things. That's it. Science comes down to those two things even. You're either created or you're an accident. Here's the funny thing. Everybody, every culture that you can look back on that has any anthropology to it at all, you can see they all struggled with, why am I here? How did I get here? And what am I supposed to do? Why do we all struggle with that? Every human. Because it's a mystery. And here Paul says, the mystery has been made known to us. Verse 5, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. God intentionally was trying to reveal himself, reveal himself, reveal himself, but not the mystery. The whole veil wasn't pulled back. You couldn't see everything until Christ came. You see, there was an appointed time in history for Christ to come. There was a appointed time in history to have the disciples and the world be ready to accept who Jesus was and is. There was an appointed time for all of us. Verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul's telling you, the gospel of Jesus Christ is made for everyone. Everyone who accepts. Everyone who believes. Everyone who has faith. No matter how bad you think you are, no matter the things you've done in your life, no matter the circumstances you were born to, no matter the country you were born, none of that matters. None of it matters. It matters in only the fact of who it has framed you to be in your own mind, but not who you are in Christ. Who you are in Christ says all of that doesn't matter. He loves you and He made you and He wants you to know Him and come into a right standing relationship. Meaning, you're born into a relationship that is sinful. In our class with the with the uh, high schoolers today, we uh, we're going through a Francis Chan series, and he talks um, about Ephesians and first well First Corinthians four first, where he talks about what does it mean to be born into wrath? What does it mean to be born into wrath? Well, I can tell you this. There's anger. Everybody's seen anger in their life. And then there's wrath. <laughs> anger, we can kind of get over. Wrath, action has taken. Something has to happen. And it says we, all humans, are born into wrath. We are born where an action has to be taken against us because we have a sinful nature. We have a sinful nature. Like, why? And then the mysteries revealed to us that God made a way for us to come back to Him, and that way is through His Son. That way is through Jesus. 
because we are all sinners. We are all born into that. Outside of Him, we have no hope. There's so many people, famous people, really famous people who have come to the end of their life and they've, they've made statements like, I lived a great life, but it was meaningless. I had all these things, but it's worth nothing now. There's, there's, there's probably over a hundred quotes that you can find from rich or very famous kings, people that ruled where they were at, who have come to the end of their life and said, it was worth nothing. I have nothing. But see, we, as followers of Christ, we have everything. Do you know that you have an eternal inheritance? If you are a follower of Christ, it says your inheritance is eternal. You, I, get to inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, Scripture says throughout Scripture, it's everlasting. It's never ending. That is your inheritance. So I want to ask you this question. I want you to think about the puzzle piece as we're going this. Are you living like a rich heir to God's heavenly fortune? Are you living that way? Or are you living like the rest of the world holding on to, I think I have a piece of this? Well, here's where the puzzle piece fits in. Before we go to point two, I want you to think, I know a lot of the kids are in here like, what are puzzles? I don't know what puzzles are anymore. Maybe on their phone they have a puzzle somewhere. All right, think of a big, giant puzzle. Let's say... A 100,000-piece puzzle. Okay? 100,000-piece puzzle. And everybody is allowed to participate in building their puzzle. Everyone gets one. It's a 100,000-piece puzzle. And the person that can fill in the whole thing will be taken care of for the rest of their life. They don't have to pay for anything. Health care. Everything's taken care of. No, nothing. The first person that can put the whole puzzle together, they have no needs for the rest of their life. Would you try to be doing that puzzle? Everybody else would. Let's be honest with ourselves, right? We'd be like, wait, take care of the rest of my life. I'm going to do this puzzle. You, you cannot. You, 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 I know you're doing that puzzle. I'm doing that puzzle. Rusty's doing that puzzle. We're going to do that puzzle. Still looking for the corners? It's right here. It's a corner piece. Let's be honest, right? If, if someone says you're taking care of for the rest of your life, here's this puzzle. Here's the catch. You get your puzzle, you open it up, and you go in, and there's no picture, so you don't know what it is, and there's no instructions. It's just all of the pieces. So you have to dump them out. And you have to try to figure out what is the picture. It's a mystery. You don't know what it is until it's all put together and it's revealed. Well, that's the world. That's the way God created the world. He is revealing Himself over time, over time, over time. Here I am. Here it is. But it's a mystery. Nobody can see it. Nobody can put it together. They might get the outside done. They might put the corners in first. Right? And they start filling it in. But the picture's incomplete. The picture's incomplete until the last puzzle pieces in there. You could have 
999,999 pieces, and that puzzle's not done until that one piece is in there. I want you to think of yourself as that piece. You see, that's the family of God. That's, that's what it means to be an heir. That's what it means to be together living with Christ. See, it doesn't just say that Christ came and died for us, died for our sins, and then rose again and ascended, and He sits up there and, and uh, He's above us, even though He is. He's mightier than us, even though He is. It says we enjoy it with Him. Scripture says that He pulls us with Him. We go to the heavenly places with Him. All that we do is with Christ. Just like when He came to Saul and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus considers you as Him. And Scripture tells us when you have given your life to God, you are a new creation and you are washed by what? The blood of the Lamb. Washed by the blood of the Lamb. And it goes on to say that that blood that covers us, that covers you, that covers me, that is what God the Father sees and His wrath passes from Him. We are the puzzle pieces. And until that last piece of the puzzle is put in, there's still a mystery to the world. There's still all those people out there who are lost and are asking the question, why am I here? What is my purpose? What am I doing? Who am I? Who am I? Point number two in your little fill-in there says, I have the privilege of sharing the unsearchable riches of Christ. The riches of the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine the kingdom of heaven? How rich is God? How rich is God? He created everything. He created everything. He said, let there be light and there's the sun. Could you imagine if like Rob's like, I'm hungry and God's like, <clears throat> turkey. Imagine the riches of heaven. There's no want. There's no need. It's fulfilled. It's been fulfilled. It says the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 7, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of His power. By definition, a minister is someone who attends to the needs of people. It's not just me and Pastor John. It's you. You are a minister of the gospel if you have given your life to Christ. If you call yourself a Christian, you are a minister of the gospel. That's what Scripture says. You are a minister of the gospel. You it also says, are responsible for your own generation. Meaning all the people in my generation that don't know Christ, it's my fault. I'm responsible for them. Meaning I better be doing everything I can to reach my generation to reveal the mystery. See, that's the thing is we have peeked behind the curtain. The curtain's been torn off for us. There's nothing hidden anymore. The mystery is solved. 
Yet we walk around and we try to hide it. Verse 8, to me, though I am very the least, I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. We are to reveal the mystery. It shouldn't be a mystery anymore. The enemy wants to keep it a secret. He wants to keep it hidden. He wants to prevent, pretend the veil wasn't torn when Christ died on the cross. But Scripture tells us it was. He wants us to pretend the veil's still up. There's a mystery. We don't know what's behind the curtain. But we do. And not only do we know what the mystery is, we have the plan to overcome all of those doubts. Who am I? Why was I made? Why am I here? You see, when it comes to the two different viewpoints of the world, created or accident, if you're just an accident, if I'm just an accident, then I have no purpose. That means there should be no rules, no laws, no anything, because it was an accident anyway, so whatever I think goes. Whatever Kylie thinks, goes. Whatever Rusty thinks, goes. That's it. There's We're accidents, so there's no rules. No society ever has ever thrived on that. There's a reason. Because in our own humanity, left to ourselves, we are greedy, we are violent. We go by the whim of our emotions and how we feel. There's been so many people. You can, you can go and watch movies now on people who have murdered somebody and then were sick about it later on. They're like, I can't believe I did that. I acted out in anger. I acted out in anger and now I am filled with sorrow. Because left to our own, we will just act on our emotions and they will always lead us astray. Verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. See, it is through us. It is through you that the mystery of God is revealed. My question to you is, are you revealing the mystery? Are you solving the puzzle for people? Are you answering those questions? Because that's what we're called to do. The third point says, I will not lose heart in the midst of suffering. I have boldness and access through faith in my God. You see, we are fellow heirs. Each one of us are a puzzle piece in that vast puzzle. Each one of us, we have a role to fulfill. We help make up the bigger picture. Without each one of us, the picture is unclear. But through us, in His wisdom, and by His grace, His mysteries are made known. Each one of you is a piece to the puzzle. But sometimes we start suffering and we lose heart. 
Paul says that he does this, verse 11, this was according to the eternal, eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Everything that we do is by faith. Faith that God is working through us. Faith that the power of Jesus is in us. Faith that the Holy Spirit, he said, would come as our helper to guide us is there guiding us. We have to believe first. We have to have faith first. You can do all these good things. All these good things. And Scripture tells us, Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. I don't care about the good life you lived. You think it was good, but it wasn't good enough. Instead, he says, to those that have faith, welcome home. Welcome home. But James tells us, faith without works is dead. You see, you can believe in Jesus. You can believe, oh, yeah, Jesus is who he says he is. But if you don't accept the gift of eternal life, if you don't accept that he died for your sins, if you don't accept that he is the Lord of your life, then you are just like the demons and you believe. And Scripture says, good for you. You see, it's by our faith, our faith in who He is that we follow Him no matter where He tells us to go or what He tells us to do. It is by faith that we work for the kingdom of God. It is by faith that we can sit here together as one small part of His body. We can sit here together as family. We can sit here together as fellow heirs to the kingdom. Romans 8.17 says this, If children, talking about the church, talking about us, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. When you're going through things in your life and, you, and, and you're suffering, we will suffer. There will be things that really suck in our life. It's just the way the broken world is. We can't expect when we walk out these doors, people who don't know God to act like Christians. You can't have a conversation with a co-worker or a neighbor who knows nothing about God and act and expect them to follow the rules that God has set forth. We can't expect that, but we do. We sometimes go out and think, people should just believe the way we believe, and then we're all right. I don't know, of all the married people in here, I'm sure you've had that one time with your spouse, my wife probably puts up with me all the time, where if he just really understood what I was trying to say, we'd be better. Right, honey? If I just understood what you're trying to say. Listen, that's how we go out into the world. We go out into the world expecting the world to understand where we're coming from when they don't even know the answers to the mystery. You have the answers to the mystery. I have the answers to the mystery. And it is our job to reveal those answers. Now, once Christ has been revealed to them, they're going to make a decision. They're either going to choose to follow Him or choose not to follow Him. It's not for you to make the decision, but it says in... Verse 17 of Romans 8, If children then heirs, heirs of God 
and fellow heirs with Christ. We are together with Christ and we are sharing who Christ is with the world. That is who we are called to be. This is what we are called to do. This is provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. We share in His sufferings. We share in His glory. We share in eternal life. I want to end with this. Christ doesn't need to share with us. He doesn't need to share with you. He chooses to. It says, Scripture says that He was lifted by the Father up above everything. Above all of creation, God the Father lifted the Son up. And Christ says, if you are my follower, you are my brother or sister, and I will lift you up with me. It doesn't say we are co-heirs beneath Christ. It says we are co-heirs with Christ. Now, Christ is the head. He is the head. Do not mishear me. He is who we turn to. He is everything that we need. He is the all in all. He is the king above kings. He is the Lord above lords. And that's how we should be in our life. But to God the Father, as Christ's blood covers us, we are lifted into his kingdom along with his son who died for us. And this is the gospel. That while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. While I was disobedient against God, He died for me. While I did everything I wanted to do, and those things were against the rules that the Creator set, He still sent His Son to die for me. Because of my sin, because of my transgressions, because of the way I acted, I deserve death. But He sent His Son to pay my penalty. To pay your penalty. And because of that, because of that payment, when I accepted the gift of free life, I became a co-heir, a fellow heir with Christ. And all of the mystery of who I am and who I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to do was revealed. Because I'll tell you this, if you want the answers to the question, they're this. You are created by God for His purpose from the beginning. Scripture says He created you in your mother's womb and set you into motions that He had before you were born. You are His. Your identity is in Him. When God the Father looks at you, He sees His Son. He sees a daughter. He sees a member of His kingdom. That is who you are. And your purpose is to glorify Him. My purpose is to glorify Him. So I, wanna, I want to leave you with this question, as I like to do. Are you acting as a co-heir with those around you? Are you joining in the work of the saints? Or are you trying to bask in the rewards of the Son without putting anything on the line? Are you just trying to take in the rewards, take in the benefits with putting nothing on the line? Because what as we read in Romans 8, when we glorify with Christ, it's because we suffer for Christ. We need to put ourselves out there because there's lots of people who don't want to hear the actual answers to the mystery. They like just being in the mystery. Will you pray with me? Father, as the band comes to close, 
We just thank you for this day, this chance that we could come to get into your scripture, get into your word, to, to start to learn what does it mean to be an heir, a co-heir, a fellow heir. What does it look like to be a family? Father, as we've talked even the last couple of weeks, we don't have to like each other, but we are commanded to love one another. And if we are here to glorify you, then all of the other things that happen, there is nothing. Father, let us follow you. Let us come to you. Let us worship you. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for the pain. Thank you for the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name.